1: From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This week, we're continuing on with our bonus series as I continue to investigate and prep for season 12, which is coming up right around the corner. I think we're only about three or four maximum weeks away Uh, for these next couple weeks. Last week, we heard from Jim Clemente Uh, for these next couple weeks. I'm going to be talking to some people who I just really respect in the true crime space that are really doing some great work. And today's guest is certainly no exception. Uh, His name is Josh Hallmark. He's a very good friend of mine. He hosts the True Crime Bullshit series. And on his show, he is investigating the victims of Israel Keys, the serial killer, and has done a ton of work trying to identify those victims. Uh, It's a podcast with a mission. He's doing great work. It's it's very well produced. So I wanted to have Josh on to talk about uh, not only what the show is, to give you guys a little, little taste of it, gets to know Josh a little bit, but also his process and a huge accomplishment that he had in just these last couple of months. He's going to share all of that and more right after the break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, well, I am joined by my friend and fellow podcaster, Mr. Josh Hallmark, who is the host and creator of one of my favorite shows, the True Crime Bullshit Podcast. Uh, Josh, are you enjoying your, you've had a little time off, a little mid-season break, are you enjoying your time off?
2: Yeah, you know, it's nice to take um, four weeks off from thinking about serial murder 24 hours a day.
1: (laughs) You see. (laughs) I tell you, it's hard to re- – I just had – I took one week off. It, it's the first week I've had off in a little while. And just to – I was telling you before we started recording, I just got back into work mode and was doing ad copy. I'm so frazzled I forgot how to do everything, and I kind of missed just laying on the couch all week.
2: Today but- was my first day back. I'm not putting out new episodes, but I'm like – you know how it is, you fall behind with admin and you want to get research done and it's impossible mm-hmm. to do both of those while you're producing new episodes. So today's my first office day back and I yeah, I didn't know what to do with myself. It was like a 5 cup of coffee day.
1: Yeah, and 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 as my wife says, I'm still full of cheese from all of the holidays. So <laughs> my whole like my, my my whole body is not functioning properly. So I wanted to. We've had you on True Crime Binge. If you want a whole bit deep dive into Josh, you go check out his True Crime Binge episode. But for you Truth and Justice listeners that haven't haven't heard that, once to get to get to know Josh a little bit, let you know about who he is in his podcast. I will tell you that Josh Hallmark got me more drunk than I've been, I think, since I was in my twenties.
2: I recall it being the other way around, but you know, you tell whatever version of the story
1: you want. <laughs> So Josh, Josh and I, you guys, some you guys remember a few months ago, me and Josh and the captain all met in Cleveland to do a live show meetup. And, uh, and, and, and this is what I remember. I remember being a little buzzed up. I remember a captain getting us a ride home with a stranger back to the hotel, which wasn't smart. And then you said we should get a bottle of wine from the front desk.
2: I mean, I, I don't have that same <laughs> memory, but but again, it's your show.
1: <laughs> right. The second bottle might have been my idea, okay. but uh, that was the worst hungover drive that I've had uh, the next day in a really long time. But I
2: think we can agree it was actually the captain's fault because he made us do shots of whiskey in
1: the middle of the show. And I think we right. would have been fine were it not for those shots. Right. And then, oh, by the way, here's a little inside scoop. The captain had to drive back to Columbus, so he orders us shots at 7 o'clock when the show started, and then by 9 o'clock, Josh and I are well on our way to do drinking, and the captain was drinking water because he had to drive home. So by the end of the night, he was sober. We were hammered, and uh, I for me, I had whiskey, I had beer, and then we drank a bottle and a half of red wine back we did i think solve pretty much all the world's problems that night though
2: oh yeah of course and i think we shut down the hotel we were in that lobby till i think 3 a.m
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> something like that <laughs> yeah it was a uh, it was definitely a, a, a great time that we had out there now that was the second time we've hung out in person we actually got to meet at the true crime podcast festival in uh in kansas city after my shit show of uh of a plane ride out there that I got there right after the show was over, uh, finally, that day. It
2: took you longer to get there than time spent there, which is a productive use of your time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. It really was. And most of my time there was spent sleeping. But so, so Josh hosts the podcast, uh, True Crime Bullshit. But prior to that, also, is it when I think when I had you on True Crime Binge, people said they had a hard time searching. If they actually type in bullshit, does it, is it hard to come up? Do they have to, because it's like, True crime bull. Yeah. SH you know, star star or something.
2: Here's the thing. If I could, if it, there there's one rookie move I've made and someone is like, I'm sure you've made more than one. Um, uh, but the biggest one is calling it true crime bullshit because you can't cuss on Apple podcasts, even though we're all, you know, consenting adults. Uh, so it's, it's true crime bull SH asterisk asterisk. But if you just, if you do a search for true crime bull, it comes up immediately.
1: I I was going to say, I think that the show is so popular now that when I was, I think I typed in TR uh, the other day when I was trying to catch up on your episodes. And when I got to TR, I think true crime bullshit was like the second thing that came up. So you're doing pretty good on the, I've made Apple algorithm now. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) (laughs) Didn't see true, true true crime uh, binge in that. I had to go way all the way to the E before I got to, to my, my show, but yours is doing great. (laughs) I'm I'm sure you'll you'll find your way into the into the search bar, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, uh, prior to doing true crime, true crime bullshit is not your first your first podcast. You started off. Was it called um, Americana or My Americana? Our Americana. Our Americana. Yeah, which
2: was you know I I enjoy storytelling, which is a, I think one of the things that separates. True crime bullshit from a lot of other true crime shows is it's more focused on storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. Our Americana was very much just these interesting stories of uh, communities and small towns either coming together or overcoming crises or overcoming strange events, uh, and it was told you know through interviews with four or five different people sliced together. Uh, my personal favorite was a small town. That was adopted by an orphaned, uh, orca calf because it lost its pod and they thrive on, uh, social connections and it needed someone Mm -hmm. to have connections with. So it showed up in this town, uh, in this bay and never left, um, never with an asterisk. Uh, and this community, which had been like really segregated, uh, between white fishermen and hunters and, and locals versus the natives there and these two very much separate communities came together in support of this little whale um and i think that's just a great example of what that show is it's mostly really special lovely heartwarming stories about communities coming together
1: it's cool that there's that the kind of the medium of in that case like the the, the whale tells a greater a bigger story
2: yeah and how you know we we all um can often overlook our own selves or our political stances or our histories in support of something greater than us, whether that's our community or the town that we live in and love or a creature that needs us.
1: You know, I think one of the things that I like hanging around with you is you've seen, I was just thinking about this the other day, so I, I come from a very rural part of Michigan. People think Michigan, they think Detroit and Lansing. I'm from a very rural part of Michigan. So it's a bunch of you know, a bunch of white farming Republicans kind of around where I grew. So that's what I grew up around. And because of my career, I've been blessed enough that I've 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 traveled a lot some of the world, but a lot of the country. You know, I've been I've been in the streets of Baltimore, I've been down to the very poor black communities in in, in Texas and and, and Arkansas and just, I've been all over the place and I've seen all these different perspectives and it really changes the way you think. And, and you've had a similar experience to that. Cause when you, was it while you were recording our Americana that you were kind of nomading across the country or was that a separate experience? It was
2: immediately before. In fact, our Americana was kind of the, um, I guess, celebration of that trip. So, I, my partner and I lived in a van for six months and traveled Canada and the country. Um, I think the longest we stayed anywhere was two weeks. Um, but most places, we were there for like two or three nights and just kind of saw America. And it really gave us a lot of really critical insight into our place in America and our privilege and just communities we didn't know about and politics this was during the 2015 primary so it was an interesting time oh, nice. um and right yeah and we would i'm you know he's a little more outdoorsy than i am and so i we stayed in a lot of rv parks and we would i'm very politically active we would go into like the rec rooms in these rv parks in the middle of the woods and watch the debates with all these other rv people and it was just such an eye-opening experience especially because i had been, you know, raised in San Francisco and had only ever lived other than in a short stint in New Orleans and West Coast major cities. So it was great for me uh, to see people with very different lives and backgrounds and perspectives than I had. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: I don't know that I really ever had hate, but for, for lack of a better term, hate out of my life, and a lot more tolerance of people to see the different. Bag- as, as an example, I was I was I was with a group of guys, older older guys, uh, just the other day, and they were they were talking. I was out to breakfast, and they were talking politics and something about um, uh, the the case. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the name. The woman who the the female cop who pulled her gun instead of the taser, Oh, yeah, you know, and they got. And and you know, they're saying, well, they, oh, that whole thing—if he would just comply, this wouldn't this wouldn't happen. And it, it, listening to these guys, and it is—it is, is so easy for people to like hate on that that viewpoint. But I've 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 seen enough and got to know enough people to know that so many of these uh, of these perspectives come from ignorance, from never being outside of their bubble. And I just said, so there's me sitting there with with six guys in their 70s at a breakfast play. that's the kind of life I live I part of it and i just said i said you know you guys have never been those been to these places and lived the lives of like that guy so you it's easy for you to say well why didn't he just comply but you don't know what his last 15 encounters with the police looked mm-hmm. like and why they might have had that reaction to the police and shockingly it was they were all like, "Oh, I guess I never really thought about that." And 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 on the same token, I've got friends that like live in Hollywood that that are very kind of in their little bubble, and they think everybody from the Midwest is a bunch of redneck racists. And it's like, oh, not, "Not, you've never really lived that life either." There's something not not to get all political things, but I just I've always I've always I I like to to be around people that have been around the country and have and have been with different groups of people and have taken the time. We sat up that night when we were drinking wine till three in the morning, just talking about different perspectives. And you enlightened me on things. I'm sure I enlightened you on many things that night. Of course. And you're a better man for (laughs) 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 it.
2: Well, I think even just like the the greatest thing, well, I mean, I learned so much on that trip. But the one thing that really has stuck with me is the privilege of experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's very easy for me uh, in my past life to have been in San Francisco and really just been constantly surrounded by people wildly different than me socioeconomically right. uh, racially uh, religiously political or no well not politically in San Francisco but everything else um and then not really having an understanding of like why social issues maybe wouldn't be as important to someone from you know small town ohio or whatever right um and and not really or uh, taking for granted that i had had the privilege of experience of living in these big cities or traveling and meeting people who are different than me and and having a much deeper more personal perspective on their journeys um and so i've learned to be less angry when people aren't um prioritizing social issues and more understanding of like well they haven't had the same experiences i have um so yeah I, you know it was a very humbling eye-opening trip also just like being gay and being so worried about going to certain places and then realizing like debatably i can hide that i'm gay uh, a lot of people can't hide the things that ignorant people hate about them um so it was just right. like such a humbling experience
1: well and then kind of transitioning into your into your show then you take that kind of enlightenment into so when i, I listened to true crime bullshit the first i was just listening to it because i was having you on the show wanted to get And to be honest, my first thought was, well, so the podcast in general, you had a season that covered other things, but is is about the serial killer Israel Keys, and and I was like, you know, it's another guy talking about a serial killer. I've never really, I'm I'm kind of fascinated by them, but I don't spend much time thinking about them. And immediately, you 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 started really early on. You started asking some really tough questions. You started asking questions of your audience, and even bringing people on to answer those questions about. You know, should we be should we be talking about this? Should we be digging into it? And why are we so interested? And just started. It, it was it was a, it was a perspective I wasn't expecting from the show, and, and and I found it really really engaging. Even even bringing up some of those ethical issues that we as podcasters face all the time.
2: You know, I I would be lying if I said it wasn't my intent to challenge people, uh, including myself, in the production of the show. But I think. You know, when you do deep dives like we do, um, you kind of get the idea and then you do the FOIA and then the files come in and you live and breathe those files for weeks or months or years. And you get really wrapped up in the case and then you sit down and you start to actually like create the show. And you think like, oh, there are all these ethical questions I haven't asked myself about creating this show. And that's the place I found myself in. And I just thought, like, I haven't really heard anyone else do this. Let's just invite those questions into the show. Um, like, should I be doing this? Um, if sociopathy or psychopathy are mental illnesses, then they are outside the control of the people who are suffering from them. So should we have empathy for those people, even if they are serial killers? Um, Which is not a fun question to ask. <laughs> like, it's, right. I would much yeah. rather live in the black and white, but unfortunately, um, it just nothing's black and white. And so I just thought, like, for every tough question I'm asking myself in doing this show, I'm just going to bring it into the show. And, you know, a lot of people did not like that. They didn't want to be challenged. They didn't want to consider thinking of serial killers as anything other than evil um which is understandable um and and i think the people who did hopefully at at, at most were profoundly impacted by it and have taken that out into their normal lives of like everything is gray everything is about perspective um and at a minimum just you know took a moment to think about it and and how that affects policy and mental health in this country and healthcare, and just you know everything is connected
1: yeah i mean i i loved it and it made me uncomfortable it really did because you sort of asked out loud the questions that i'm constantly asking myself internally when i'm doing what you do right when i'm doing a deep dive and doing the podcast and producing it and then then you said it out loud and was like oh. like <laughs> was like you mean i'm not the only one that worries about these things uh uh, but it, it it was really interesting, and then and then you and then you kind of lay out. And I don't know was was this kind of the mission from the beginning, or did it evolve to be that? Because your mission became, or at least, it became clear to me, a uh, you know a little ways into season one, that the mission wasn't just to tell a story about a serial killer. That the mission was to try to find some closure and try to you know the the, the crazy thing about keys is we don't know who all his victims were. You know, he killed himself before. We 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 found out who all of his victims were, and so you set out to to identify his victims. To, you, there was a clear mission to the show. Was it was that the plan from the beginning, or did it evolve into that?
2: Sort of. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, actually. How you know, and it's been almost four years now. Um, where like when I started this, I never would have used the word investigation, capital I, because I mm-hmm. think it just felt way bigger than me. Uh, like, who am I to investigate a crime? Uh, but it's kind of what I had been doing all along. Uh, and I think it was mm-hmm. a lot of what was driving me. I think when I sat down and started actually writing the series, there were two motivating factors for me. The first was like, there are families out there who don't know what happened to the. Loved ones, and like maybe there's clues in these files. Um, and again, it wasn't like I'm gonna be the one to do it, but it was like, but let's look and see if there's anything in here. And then the other factor was like his kid, um, who he was the best parent she had, uh, because her mother mm-hmm. struggled with addiction and was in and out of her life. Um, and he really took care of her the best that he knew how. Um, and she was, I think, thirteen when he was arrested, and so just like having that as the legacy of her dad, who she lived with full time for the majority of her life, and what that means for her, um, and and how she sees him, and how she sees her childhood now uh, that she knows, you know, some truths about him. She doesn't, as far as I know, know everything at this point, but she knows enough. Uh, so that was it. It was like telling the story with care and with humanity for everyone, including him as much as we could. And also using that humanity and empathy and I guess lowercase I investigation to see what we could do to tie up some loose ends. You know, I, I don't like the word closure because it seems unrealistically and unkindly holistic um but i think mm-hmm. you know to at least give people some resolve
1: yeah and it, it's it, when you talk about the because you, you took some shit too for <laughs> kind of personalizing you know because 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 israel went by is and then you, you you there were people giving you a hard time for referring to him as as is and kind of humanizing him but it went back to me, and I guess it's a question to for those in my audience listening. Ask yourself this and, and see how uncomfortable it makes you feel. But when you, like you said a few minutes ago, so I think that he's a sociopath, psychopath, and like you said, if that's a true mental disorder, then that's kind of beyond his control. So where does that leave you? Like, do you, is it is it okay to have some empathy? There certainly, I mean, his victims would think so, and we and you as well, and, and me have always been very victim centric with the work that we do. But then it's like, but do you do you just do you just just write the guy off completely because he was a psychopath? If that's truly a mental disorder, it's a it's a tough question to ask,
2: and there's no right answer. And I think a lot of people assumed that I had a bias or a leaning and even like challenging everyone including myself to think about those things and i don't like i still to this day don't know if it's okay to have empathy for him um but i think it's a conversation that's worth having
1: yeah and as, as especially you know for like you mentioned his daughter like there's other there's other people connected to this besides the victims but you know you as, you, as you're going on and you're doing your as you call your lowercase i investigation and you actually got results i mean i was it's we've been a, for a while trying to hook up to do this but it was what was it it was this fall right october or so when you uh when, when you had a pretty big revelation on the on the podcast
2: yeah it was actually it was i think two weeks before the season five premiere because there was a lot of scrambling to rewrite that first episode um and i, I was on the road when i found out investigating the show and doing you know, panels and stuff. Um, but so in season four of the show, I think, is that right? What season am I in? I don't know. Um, season four, <laughs> it sounds right. <laughs> I, um, you know, we, I, I, now have a team of researchers, which is also just a wild thing. Cause I was kind of like living on my own doing this for so long and now there's mm-hmm. other people, which is just lovely. Um, but one of them had brought to my attention a doe, um, or no, she had brought to my attention a missing person who had matched a doe that I had found. And that mm-hmm. that John Doe was discovered on November 4th of 2011, just 25 miles from Keyes' family compound in upstate Maine. Uh, which, you know, is suspicious when you find mm-hmm. a doe uh, n- near where a serial killer hangs out. And so we started looking to see a if there was enough information about the doe that we could plausibly l- link it to key- link him to keys or look into him as being a plausible keys victim, but also whether it was keys or not because we spend so much time pouring through missing persons' cases, looking to see if we could link him to a missing person. His cause of death is still unknown to this day. Uh, there were signs that perhaps the body had been tampered with post-death. Um, and the proximity to Keys and also the proximity to the highway that Keys takes to get to his family compound from his upstate New York cabin uh, made it worth looking into. And we'd found a gentleman who disappeared from an area we can positively place Keys in multiple times um, around the same time that this stove was found height matched, even the uh, the sketches matched this man's photos. And so, we reported on it as being a possible match and both of them being possible Key's victims. Meanwhile, um, you know, I get a lot of tips, which I'm so thankful for uh, every day. Some, A few people had uh, reached out to me and said, you have to look into this missing person, Christopher Roof, who disappeared from the New Hampshire, Massachusetts state line while Keyes was active in the area. And so, it was kind of on my to-do list. Mm-hmm. And then one of his former students reached out and said, I think that Doe you reported on could be Mr. Roof, who was a, a substitute teacher. And so she started doing some digging and used the information I put out on the show and reached out to me and said I think this is him. Do you mind if I contact the police? And I said please by all means. Um and then yeah, 2 weeks before season 5, they positively identified the Stacyville Maine John Doe as Christopher Roof. Um so that's amazing. Yeah, and you know a lot of people are giving me credit for it and it's I like the show definitely helped make this happen, but you know, Sydney Cop is his former student who was listening to the show and heard this and said, I think this is Mr. Roof. She's the one who did the work. So, uh, where credit is due, I, I 85% of it goes to Sydney Cop um, because I have been doing this for years and I'm still anxious to deal with law enforcement a lot of the time because you never know what you're going to mm-hmm. get. And she really uh, had the bravery and audacity to not only reach out to them, but r- really stay on top of them uh, to see this through. So, yeah, um, and now now we know who the Staceyville John Doe is. His name is Christopher Roof, and now it's determining what happened to Christopher Roof and was Keyes involved. But also, even if he wasn't, his loved ones need to know what happened to him, how he got to the woods.
1: Yeah, because for ten years they, he's just been missing. They didn't know where he yeah. was. Yeah, but but you know that's a the, you, you, and, and certainly the the student of his it's all the credit for for the work that she did. But that's also the power in what you do. It's it, it's it's what we try to accomplish with truth and justice too. Is you know this the the crowdsourcing element a lot of times is helping with research and helping go through crime scene photos. But a lot of times it's if we can put information out there to the to the world it creates this opportunity for someone because you know I, I believe that most people in the world want to do something good they want to be a part of doing something great of, of changing someone's life for the better and i think you created that opportunity for that to happen you know i even though she did the the work and and all the credit is due there obviously but i don't think that ever happens if you're not making the podcast telling the story to to even help make that connection and i think that's a big that's a powerful thing and that you're doing
2: thanks and you know we started our chat talking about my hesitancy to do this in the first place and it being part of the bigger discussion and in four years that has minimized but it hasn't fully gone away there are days and i'm sure you feel this too where i'm like mm-hmm. should i be doing this like like and we're f- five seasons into it and I still am right. like, should I be doing this? Um, and you know, look, we've made great strides in the Keys investigation that I'm deeply proud of. Uh, we are very close to identifying, I would say, four victims. And that's amazing and it's empowering and inspiring and humbling, but you still have those doubts. And so I I this, whether it's keys or not, like knowing that I participated in giving a family their loved one back and giving a doe his name back, like, means the world to me uh, at any level. So it's like, does it make it all worthwhile? I guess only the future can determine that. Um, but for now, it, it, it's inspiring and invigorating.
1: Well, re- regardless of where things go from here, you can at least at this point be able to look back and say, you know, was th- was there purpose behind what I was doing? Did we accomplish? And if you accomplish nothing else, that you you have impacted real people's lives. the the family members of that teacher now have, they know they're, they they no longer have a missing person. They know what happened, at least to an extent. Where where he's at, uh, and so the, it, it's. I just think it's a big for me. Things like that are very important. I'm always striving to do more and always trying to continue. But if I can look back and be like at least at least this hasn't been in vain something we've done something you've done something you've you've impacted lives because of the work that you're doing and that's got to be something you got to be able to hang your hat on you know no matter what happens from here yeah no
2: it 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 is and like i don't want to you know shoe gaze about it like i'm proud of it i i am i just i you know i'm always kind of looking at the bigger picture and i think for me the one thing i told myself like Whenever I got bad feedback or people were dicks on the internet to me, it was like, at a minimum, we're bringing attention to a lot of missing persons endo cases that have long been ignored. Um, yeah. And I think this is a shining example of that because he, Christopher Roof was not in NamUs. He was not on the Charlie Project. There were no articles about him anywhere. There was a Facebook group mm-hmm. with his former students. And... So me reporting on him as a possible keys victim like facilitated this happening, and I think that should be the takeaway for everyone, um, is as long as you are ethically reporting on missing persons cases, you are bringing attention to people who need more attention.
1: Your what January twentieth? You say is that when you're coming back with the the second half of your se- of season five? Yeah,
2: yeah. True Crime bullshit will return on the twentieth for the second half of season five. I think there are nine episodes left in the season. Don't quote me on that. Um, and we have made a lot of headway. We've had some very important and highly credible witnesses come forward who have had encounters with keys that give us. Either a very clear understanding of his M.O. or supporting evidence and theories we already had. We have, like I said, four cases where there is very strong evidence that Keyes was involved, including some physical evidence. And so I think it's continuing to pull back those layers until we can get to a place where we can positively confirm that they are Keyes' victims. And, you know, unfortunately, he was excellent at disappearing bodies, and so um, it's going to come down to just, like, very strong circumstantial evidence, unfortunately, unless we can find a body or a cache. And I think that's where we're at now, is we have a, a, a pretty confident general sense of where his hidden caches are, and we know he kept trophies in those caches,
1: so... So after after season 5 are you are you continuing on is there going to be a season 6?
2: I always say um I never want to I'm trying to think of like an apt analogy. I never want to like lost this podcast where I'm like on season mm-hmm. 7 and everyone's like we should have ended at 3. Uh so <laughs>
1: as, <laughs> It's a good analogy. Yeah. Um,
2: <laughs> as long as there's more investigation to do and more clues to uncover, I'll keep doing it. And, you know, I took a break off and we covered a female serial killer for a season and it made me want to hide under my sheets for a year because she sucked the life out of me. But, but, you know, maybe we (laughs) do that again and then return to keys in a future season. But I've been investigating uh, lowercase i keys for almost a decade. um, And I don't think. My need to know answers is ever going to go away. So I, I think whether we take a pause or not, I'll, the show will probably always be deeply rooted in Israel Keys.
1: Well, that's great. Well, I, I think you're, you're doing great work. I love, love the podcast. I'm looking forward to the second half of season five. And congratulations, man, on identifying... If nothing else, identifying a missing person's that's a it's a it's a huge accomplishment. that speaks volumes of the work that you're doing.
2: Thank you, and thank you for being like just a a great friend, but b just such a wonderful cheerleader for this show. Um, because it it means the world to me that like people listen to this, and I always say the barrier to entry is like very large because it's you know 80 episodes on the same person it's quite intimidating um i don't know if it's 80 but it feels like it Uh, and so i'm always just um impressed and humbled when someone's willing to take that on and then like care about it so thank you
1: yeah well it's my pleasure and uh we'll have you back on next time you after the next identification i'm sure there's one coming around the corner (laughs) don't jinx it and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing and sound engineered by Shane Yoder. All music for the show is created, composed and scored by PutThemInASong.com who also mixed and mastered this episode. All of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing and maintaining our website TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yomnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that always include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes become a patron just go to patreon.com/truth and justice you can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five star rating and review. And lastly you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. if you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons you can submit your cases on our website truthandjusticepod.com Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form and the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. And I personally can be found on social media at Truth, and Mike can be found at MurbGaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. Don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, I'm signing off. I'm Bob Ruff, and this has been Truth and Justice.